Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Curtis Wister, the solar to my wind. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. We've done quite a few shows at this point. And I know one thing that, you know, of course, is is the thing that people associate with Maine a lot, right, is is weather. Mm. And so, of course, with weather, we have to do things to kind of combat the weather elements in Maine. So that we, we've been chatting about this, Curtis, you and I, for, for quite a while. We got we to gotta do something on energy use, right. right? It was kind of the kind of thing, because especially from financial planners, it's, it's kind of a budgetary thing. Exactly. So from one, one we were looking up statistics, right? So one of the things we were looking up according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, EIA, data from 2017, that was the latest data we could get, the average monthly energy bill in Maine is just $87.21. So that's not bad. Hmm. That's actually the lowest average energy bill of any state in New England and one of the lowest in the U.S. For reference, Maine's closest neighbor, New Hampshire, actually has a, a pricier $114.95 average monthly energy bill. Hmm. And that was that, that data is also from smart data. But also, we, you and I both know, right, we're, we're looking at energy. Electricity is not the entire picture, right? Is sure. We have more than one energy source that we as Mainers use. We can use heating oil, gas, wood, pellets, solar, lots of things to heat our homes, especially during the winter months or supplemental uh, electrical use. But for many Mainers, especially Mainers that are in Social Security, heating and electrical use is a is really a big budget item. Mm. So when we talk about energy, we really talk about it also, but in regards to not just heating, but also transportation systems, our vehicles. So energy in Maine really is a big topic. But really, we wanted to talk about not just, obviously, we know that, right? But what, but what about for Mainers today? What's going on in energy use today? And how will it be impacting tomorrow? Especially for retirees, right? If we're thinking, hey, we're retiring today, and we're thinking the next 30 years out, how can we create enough energy flexibility for our homes or for our lives that we can adapt and react to changing prices on energy over our lives? So that's really the premise of today's show was, was kind of this idea of future of energy use in Maine. So when we were searching out a guest, so our next guest holds a degree in chemical engineering from Rensselaer. He's a former state representative where he's a member of the Energy Utilities and Technology Committee. He co-founded Duralife Decking, a composite decking manufacturing company that continues to operate and grow in Bitterford. And after the company's acquisition, he then served as the Director of Sustainability for GAF, North America's largest roofing manufacturer, developing initiatives such as roofing recycling and the company's zero-waste-to-landfill effort, as well as building networks with national organizations such as the U.S. Green Building Council. Currently, our next guest is the Executive Director for E2 Tech, the Environmental and Energy Technology Council of Maine. He's also hosted the Grow Maine show for over 100 episodes in six years and had his show picked up by WGAN, 
where it airs every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. He grew up in Carthage, Maine, where his family still runs a small farm keeping Jersey cows. He and his wife, Amy, and their two children live in Biddeford, where Amy works at the Biddeford School Department. So at this time, I'd love to uh, welcome Marty Groman to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Marty, thanks for coming on. Hey, welcome to my nice, cool basement in Biddeford. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, again, it, I, I know with podcasts, right, this is permanent stuff, but man, it is 91 degrees, <laughs> right? And it's summer right now. We're getting, we're right before the 4th of July recording this. And actually kind of a pretty good time to talk about energy use, because I think we're all soaking up a lot of electricity with air conditioning today, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're sucking up tons of electrons. Yes, dear listener. Thank you. I know it's uh, another heat wave is coming, I'm sure. But yeah, we are recording in the middle of one. And uh, I'm enough of an energy walk that there's actually an app uh, called ISO2GO, which is the New England Power Grid Operator's overall uh, capacity and you can watch it peaking uh, around 4 p.m. Uh, today, I'm sure, or yesterday. And, and people in the know get worried when we get above 25,000 megawatts, when everybody home gets home, uh, turns on their air conditioners and so forth. And uh, so, yeah, a lot to think about there and uh, the cost of energy <laughs> and the, the impact of energy for mm. sure. Well, and, and there's a lot we want to get into, Marty, of course, when it comes to energy and and such. But obviously, with all of our shows, what we want to do is really dig into you a little bit, just just to hear a little bit more about your background and your biography, including your path towards working in the energy sector. So could you just kind of give us that path and that, that rundown there? Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for the great introduction. So I'm the youngest of eight kids. I, I grew up on a farm in Western Maine, milking the cows before the school bus every day. So uh, by hand, by the way. And uh, like a lot of Maine kids, I thought that uh, I needed to get away in order to succeed. So I had went to college in New York, and then I uh, ended up working for GE Plastics, uh, you know, plastics, my boy, and all. <laughs> I worked for General Electric, and then I worked for a plastics machinery company in Cincinnati called Cincinnati Millicron. And I was... Um, I even got uh, got myself a job over in Vienna, Austria, working for a while in the plastics industry. And, you know, every time I came back home to Maine, I thought, wow, you know, I guess I'm kind of getting it. And by the time I was 30, I was ready to come back home. And uh, I didn't really have a natural landing spot as a uh, plastics engineer. So, and I figured it was my chance to start a company. And it was uh, right around the year 99, 2000. And the big name in the industry was Trex and composite decking. And I, I knew how to make products like that from my work in the industry. And uh, I was uh, young enough to figure what the heck. And so I put the business together and we had a good run of success. It's still running today. Uh, Duralife Decking actually uh, right in the Biddeford Industrial Park. If you see the big silos as you're going by on the freeway, that's what that is. They're full of sawdust and uh, making sawdust for, uh, that is tongue and groove hardwood flooring and it's getting made into high-end composite decking. So it's a good business. The joke is it's doing better without me. And uh, <laughs> I'm actually proud of that. And uh you know, they have almost 100 employees now and uh, making tons of decking. And after I left there, I, uh, you know, kind of pursued other interests in uh, sustainability and, yes, even politics. 
<laughs> well, and Marty, there seems to be a, a nice through thread, right? With uh, obviously within that bio that that I was reading there, and just seems like there's kind of this dance in and around sustainability and energy. And can I ask, really, just around your passion? There's what what kind of sparked that passion, especially maybe going from, hey, here's my experience growing up around farms, and then getting into kind of energy and sustainability. What was what was the thread that kind of got you there? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Ben. That uh, I think you know farming a lot of it is about sort of making do with what you have and there's not a lot of cash around to uh buy new things so you're you're always improvising and uh putting things together in new and ingenious ways usually using some you know old piece of equipment in some new way and and uh i think i did kind of grow up that way and i uh I've I've long been convinced that there's uh, there's money in sustainability effectively that you you can build businesses around it and you can uh, save money in your personal life by making smart sustainable choices. So I guess I'm trying to live that uh, where I can in both business personally, not always getting it right, but I do think that that's the case, and so I, I guess it's a a core value of mine. Okay. Well, I'd love to learn a little bit more about E2 Tech. Can you just talk a little bit about what E2 Tech is and how it's yeah. helping to shape the state of Maine, especially around environmental energy and clean technology sectors? Yeah, thanks. E2 Tech is uh, coming up on our 20th anniversary, and we were formed by a group of companies that really wanted to build the sector of quote-unquote clean tech in Maine. That could be anything from biofuels to solar to uh, resilient design and construction uh, that's suitable for, you know, when the power grid goes down. So we have about 300 member companies and they encompass everything from East Brown Cow, which is a a sustainable property manager that owns a bunch of uh, properties in Portland that people know, like the Hyatt Place Hotel and many others like that. Other members include Ocean Renewable Power Company, which is make which makes a uh, a rivgen, uh, a unit that goes in rivers and uh, makes power uh, sort of from the flow of the river. And uh, prominent banks like Northeast Bank or prominent construction companies like Chinbro or uh, Sargent Corporation and energy efficiency companies like Train that makes air conditioners and then. Other companies like uh, Central Maine Power, Summit Natural Gas, and Revision Energy, and Sunrun, which is a solar company. So this group of companies was numb enough to hire me to uh, kind of advance the mission overall. You know, you could think of it a little bit like, you know, why do they do this? You know, it's sort of like, why does L.L. Bean promote hiking? You know, why does L.L. Bean want people to go outdoors? And, you know, maybe maybe they'll buy some boots, you know, but... In the, in this case, this, this group of companies says, "All right, you know, good things are going on in clean tech in Maine. We want to see the sector advance. So, you know, let's put this guy in charge of trying to network and and uh, you know help our businesses grow. And it's probably not that direct of a thing, but over the course of many years, we'll see you know progress and advancement in in our business. So, it's a bunch of companies taking the long view in in energy and environmental fields, basically." And Marty, I love that because, you know, I, I think from a couple of ways here and one, one, you have legislative and governmental experience here as well, but 
you know, from even I know you have a podcast that, that you've you've run that's obviously now on the radio now the Grow Maine show. Obviously, Maine's a very small place, right? Is it's easy to access? I think a lot of Mainers and and I think there's a, a lot of Mainers are very approachable and accessible that way. And just seeing that thread of hey, what you're doing with E2 Tech, but also from your legislative experience and then from the the podcast experience where you're talking to entrepreneurs, talking about you know what are their challenges around business? How do they kind of scale? What about entrepreneurship? It's kind of this, you're kind of weaving the tapestry, right? Is is connecting people, connecting ideas. And I, I think that's been a, just from an afar, again, you and I have not talked about this, but I, I've admired that about you, especially with that growing main show, because it's someone that's really, we're, we're scaling our firm here and trying to grow is to learn from others, right? And in, in, hey, in Maine, we're all seeing similar things, and trying to pick up on trends and themes and what are people seeing? What are the people doing? So hearing and pulling that from you has, has been really kind of helpful, I think, from just even from the business perspective. But I'd love to hear about kind of with that with that kind of thread there, with the legislative and governmental experience, but also from maybe the Grow Maine show, how, how have those efforts really helped your viewpoints of energy in the state of Maine and really inform those? Yeah, thanks. So I, I started the Grow, the Grow Maine as a play, a play on my last name, Grow Maine and Grow Maine. And I, I had a good experience starting and growing a company in Maine. We you know, we were listed on Inc. 500 uh, three times in a row as it successfully sold the business to a big national player, as I mentioned. And uh, people don't think of Maine as a good place to start a business or, you know, the reputation isn't necessarily there. So I thought maybe I can try to change that by uh, a little bit of a, like a how I built this for Maine. And uh, when I started the show, it was much more difficult to produce a podcast. And uh, it's been an interesting arc. And it's made a lot of connections for me. I would say that's the biggest thing and has been uh, probably the, you know, the predecessor of some other great podcasts, including yours in mm-hmm. Maine. And so I'm proud of that. And uh, I, I think that's been the biggest thing is just a door opener for me. I, I was actually last week speaking to uh, Gavin from Bangor Savings Bank in mm-hmm. Bangor, and I had never met Gavin. He said, I know you. <laughs> right? Exactly. We hit it off right, off the, right out of the uh, gate there. So I, I think it's been a good platform. And, and I have tried to focus on companies that have, well, good employment stories. Uh, I think companies that are doing well by doing good, uh, of which, you know, we're blessed to have a ton of in Maine. And uh, I've long believed that, that the companies in your uh, local community, you know, employing people, helping them advance. Well, let me back up. I can just tell the story that makes it. Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, So when I started the business, obviously I was quite young and green myself, just about you know, probably 30-ish. And I had actually had very little or basically no management experience. And one of my first hires is a young man named Jamie. And he he was actually probably just two or three years younger than me. And um, right around the age of you guys, obviously. But anyway, uh, now today I keep up with Jamie. He has, uh, he's gotten married. He's, his, his kids are uh, actually close to going to college now, um, or in college. He bought a house and practically paid off his mortgage. You know, he's advanced. He's actually, he's got a senior sort of position within the plant. I think he's the assistant plant manager or something like that. So there's nothing more rewarding than that, you know, yeah. and I, I think 
not running a company, not being an entrepreneur now currently, if there's one thing I miss about it, it's that, you know, that that's really what is so rewarding about running a company. And I think companies that focus on that kind of thing, that's always what I, who I wanted to get on the show. And uh, that, that is, and those are great stories. I, I love telling those. Yeah. And I, again, I think that's where I know you interviewed actually one of my former interns, Neil Spillane, right? And Neil had the the Fork Food Lab down in Portland that he yeah. was, he was a part of. And I think that's, that's what's really kind of cool of, you know, you're seeing, and Curtis actually came from that internship program that we were developing here at Guidance Point. Yeah. So he had, I don't know, seven or eight uh, kids in college and they were part of an entrepreneurial experience. And so kind of then tuning into your show and going, wow. Wow, a, lot, a lot of other people are doing this and they're mentoring and they're, they're fostering cultures and they're really trying to build, you know, re- uh, relationships amongst their team to really strive towards that effort and really pulling uh, everybody together. And again, it's happening in Maine. And I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of the, was the, the cool thing of that. So I, I really loved uh, a lot of the lessons that are coming out of your show, Marty, was, was that, especially that, that's what really spoke to me, but I want to kind of pivot to, again, this topic of future of energy use in Maine, right? And I think anytime we're talking about any of our topics, we always start with some foundation. So can we just start with some understanding of the state of the state of Maine in regards to energy? How would you describe how energy is being utilized throughout the state? That's a big one. I'm involved with the Maine Climate Council. So I am a member of the energy working group of the Maine Climate Council. So thinking about the data from the sort of emissions and pollution side of things, Most of our energy, more than half, I think it's 54% is used to move us around. So it's, you know, cars and light duty vehicles, as they say, up to heavy Mm -hmm. duty vehicles, you know, trucks and school buses and so forth. So if we're thinking about pollution, which I guess is kind of the way that I'm coming at it, that that's our biggest challenge. Within our electrical mix, we are very strongly fueled by natural gas. Right now, as we speak, about 70% of our uh, power is uh, comes from electrical power comes from natural gas. And, you know, that's why you can turn on the air conditioner in the middle of the night. The, the journey that we're trying to go on is to have more of that power come from wind and solar and, and so forth. But actually a bigger picture thing I could have started with, I think this is really interesting is overall means power use is declining. So as a state, we use about 2000 megawatts of power at any given moment uh, as uh, even that's even kind of on the high end. And uh, that's probably just a number, but it was much higher many years ago with more industrial plants running, but also all of our efficient appliances and LED light bulbs and all that kind of stuff mm. are actually working. So there's a really interesting thing going on where you, you do hear this controversy within, you know, the electric power distribution world where, you know, should we build this corridor? Should we expand this and so forth? And it's kind of like you know, the tolls have to go up because there's less cars on the freeway. You know, as a as a bigger picture thing, part of what's going on and creating challenges is that we just don't have as much power running through the wires. It's a surprising thing to hear and learn, but that that's part of what's going on behind the scenes. Hmm. And you, you kind of just touched on it there, Marty, but can you just kind of talk about how energy consumption has changed over time, specifically with personal use? Yeah, thanks, Curtis. So if my, my daughter was just asking me yesterday because I was showing her the ISO2Go app, which <laughs> anybody can grab. It's free from uh, 
our independent system operator in New England. And uh, if you want to go full walk, if you're watching the video, I am wearing a pocket protector t-shirt just so, so everybody can yeah. tell. So anyway, <laughs> we are full going full walk here. We used to peak in the winter is the point. So it used to be, you know, we had electric baseboard heaters. We have more stuff that used electricity in the winter. Now it's uh, our peak may well be set on the day we're recording this podcast where the air conditioners are all cranking. Um, you know, we're putting in heat pumps, which yeah. also do AC and so on. And uh, that is creating uh, tough challenges actually in the world of electricity, where I know you probably expect, Curtis, that if you walk into your office anytime, 24 hours a day, right, you you flip on the, the switch and, and turn on the air conditioner and it's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And to you, it probably doesn't matter how hot or cold it is out. It better work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, so that's sort of like how we all feel and, and, but that's actually remarkably difficult to achieve. And so on a day like today or any really hot day, 90 degrees plus those wires are up there going, this is everything we got, man. We're grinding here mm. at, at 4 PM on a 90 degree day. And you walk in and you're like, I'm turning this on, man. You know, sure. that that's not the expectation in, in other parts of the world, but it is here in the U S so the point I'm leading up to is most of the cost is actually driven. And this is incredible to learn. I think there are literally only about eight or 10 hours per year that set the cost for all of our electric grid. And those today are our very hottest days of the year. Interesting. And I just want to keep going a little bit here. And, and can we talk about maybe what's the trend, you know, thinking about households on how we will use energy and the impact it's going to have in terms of cost on our budgets? I think that the trend is actually what the Maine Climate Council would like to see is less oil mm -hmm. and more electricity. Mm -hmm. So uh, ideally an overall reduction in your costs, but even if that isn't achieved, definitely a transition from your oil tank in the basement. Uh, do, do you two heat with oil? Do you have oil we do, heat? We do, yep. Yeah, so do I. So mm -hmm. uh, that's three out of three. So, <laughs> uh, And actually, the number is between six or seven out of 10 for me. We, we all have these tanks of oil in our basement. So uh, there's obviously emissions associated with burning that oil. Mm. And uh, if we were all to switch to uh, electric heat pumps, then we, you know, at least those emissions would be taking place at a power plant and a little easier to handle. Uh, than they would be coming from, you know, 600,000 suburban chimneys, which is what we have now, yeah. uh, roughly. So yeah. that's a big thing that is a transition that the Maine Climate Council is looking for. And, you know, I have some kind of thoughts on homeowners, what, what we can be doing and uh, suggestions and ideas too, that we could get into as well. Yep. And I know we got a question coming up on that, Marty, but one thing I want to ask about, cause this theme came up a lot in our shows is that really in the state of Maine, we have some older housing stock and maybe it's just a generational thing about, again, kind of keeping up with our homes and, and the money that's a, a necessary to keep our, our houses current. But how have you seen the age and conditions of the state's housing stock really impact energy consumption and planning? Ooh, geez. I think, you know, the Michael Stoddard, who's the executive director of Efficiency Maine Trust, which is Maine's, you know, largest and well, Maine's rebate provider and so forth. That's a horrible description of what Efficiency Maine does, but I think we all have an idea. So yes, anyway, yeah. you know, talks a lot about this and that you you have this effect of the tail end of the the least efficient homes 
really being hard to keep up with in Maine. I'll give an example. So where I live in Biddeford, I am a member of the Rotary Club and we have war, we have done fundraisers to buy oil for people in, you know, the coldest months of the year in mm-hmm. distress. And we've been fortunate to raise quite a bit of money to do that. And we go and I've ridden along personally to when people are okay with this to come and say, hey, you know, shake a hand. Hey, we were glad to help out. Now, most of the time where you're going is a trailer, you know, from 1974 with a furnace that is really, really inefficient. And we're going to pour 275 gallons of oil in there, Mm. you know, and it's going to be gone in 10 days. I mean, so whereas, you know, maybe a bit of a stereotype, but if we went out to Prout's Neck, we might find a home that was built at the cost of $2 million that could literally go two or three years on that same tank of oil yeah. because it would be built you know, with high efficient and the latest materials. So I think a massive challenge is actually, and this is true for cars, transportation too, mm-hmm. lower income people pay so much more of their income. <laughs> I don't want to say disposable income, just their total income on these two things. Mm-hmm. Main, low income main people pay something like 35% of their paycheck for heat and 35% for their car, which doesn't leave very much. It's an incredible amount of your money that is going to energy stuff. And so we need to find a way to get people out of that. And it can be kind of tough to do. I mean, if you think of that mobile home, we could try to upgrade the furnace, you know, but they might not own the place. Um, They might not own the lot that it's on. And, and it's, they probably don't have a credit rating that would be worthy and so forth. So finding programs like on-bill financing, things like that, that will help people get out of that do loop mm-hmm. is a lot harder than you might think at first blush. Yeah. And, and it seems like, Marty, that's a really interesting point because you're not, because not just kind of taking those percentage and saying, hey, this is really expensive as a percentage of my budget, but also from a structural perspective of the way my home is is uh, structured, or as you said, it's like, you know, there may be not as renting as much, or there's more kind of older housing that I can afford to get into, or whatever it be kind of maybe a mobile home, whatever. That, that's really interesting that they're, you know, not only just paying more as a percentage, but also from an absolute dollar because it's just how inefficient those systems can be. So that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. You don't want to pour that down the drain anytime you can. Of course we all feel that way, but to the extent that it's possible, I mean, solar is a pretty good example. If, and you're financial professionals, I mean, you'll, you'll do better with this analogy than I will. My neighbor asked me the other day, okay, my power bill is a couple hundred dollars a month. Uh, What would I be looking at for a solar install? I said, Figure 15 to 20,000 bucks. Okay. What would that do to my power bill? It would eliminate it. So 200 bucks a month, you wouldn't be paying, but I don't have 15 or 20,000 bucks. Well, all right. How do you get out of that cycle? Because if you did have that amount of money and you were to put it in some financial vehicle, you'd actually be extremely pleased if that financial vehicle returned you a lockdown steady $2,400 a year, wouldn't you? Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good way to think about some of these renewable investments. And and uh, people always think about, well, that payback's going to take forever and they're dividing 
to for you know 200 into fifth into 20,000 it's not the way to think about it it's, it's if you can come up with that money via financing or somehow this this is one of, it's a very good investment mm, I like that so you teased up my next question perfectly a few minutes ago so something that we you know we work with all of our clients on is trying to figure out how to stretch their dollars longer in retirement you know heating and energy is a big budget item for a lot of people in Maine so I want to ask what are some things that Mainers can do today? to make their heating and energy costs go down over time? The number one thing uh, that I can mention right now is community solar. Uh, you know, we have two E2 Tech members, Power Market and Arcadia, that work in that sector. This is new offering, new legislation within the state of Maine. It's, uh, the offers are around 10 or some are 15% off of your electric bill. Mm -hmm. There's essentially no downside. You're, you're committing to use the power from, you know, a solar field in Baldwin, say, in the case of power market, and you're getting a percentage off your bill. And uh, so you're helping this, this renewable energy installation get built. And you can opt in and out at any time. And uh, that's a major opportunity. I'm taking advantage of that myself. I recommend it. It, 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 it adds a touch of complexity to your electrical bill, but it's not hard to manage with the mm. usual sort of auto pay things. Would you say, Marty, though, a, a couple of things that, that I guess thinking about too is, as you said, maybe those with less less income have maybe a more complex um, issue around kind of doing things to lower their trends. But it, it sounds like what, what things you're saying, though, is is that the trend is lower anyway, right? That we're, we're kind of having trending of, of lowering uh, energy cost as kind of as a theme historically. Is, do you think that will continue? I, I think that the, the a low income, you know, if you're on a fixed income, you know, having represented Biddeford, part of Biddeford for four years, knock on a lot of doors, met a lot of people that are retired and get a, an $1,100 social security check or something mm. like that. Mm. And not looking for a, a $575 oil bill, mm. uh, you know, any more frequently than they can avoid it. A very difficult thing in the case of efficiency Maine and also in tax policy for what it's worth is program delivery. They're, they're, uh, really, that is the number one thing that I could say is to, uh, if you are on a fixed income, now is the time to go to efficiencymaine.org. There, there are programs to help you get out of the do loop of what I'm describing to upgrade your uh, oil furnace to the latest model to switch to maybe to a heat pump or to another source like healthy gas. It's funny. It, it happens constantly. You know, you're familiar with the earned income tax credit yep. in, and that's, that's actually uh, a really significant chunk of money, both at the federal and the state level in which you can actually receive a check. Even if you didn't pay in, in Maine, it's hundreds of dollars at the federal level, it's thousands of dollars, but they're probably within a mile radius of, of each of us where we live. There are hundreds of people who qualify for those for earn income tax credit who haven't and don't apply for it. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't know about it. They um, um, don't find it. You have to file a tax return. They don't want to deal with that. So it's the same with the energy stuff is uh, that's really the number one thing that I would recommend. And it's around you, you get started with the weatherization stuff or, yep. or the energy efficiency stuff. Yeah. It's, it's like we talk about with recycling, you know, reduce, reuse and all that. It, it That's, that's the big thing. I've got my home, you know, locked up tight. And I recommend that 
and it reduces your expenses over time. Yeah. So Marty, I want to ask another question is because uh, we've, we've spent a little bit of money on uh, our time on cost, right? Is cost been part of the, the driver of the conversation? And, and one of the things that I think from an aging perspective, right, is, is that, hey, as we're aging, especially Mainers, right, we, we probably want to think about which energy sources we're committing to over time, especially sources that are more friendly to us as we age. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the example of, you know, the people that have been on, you know, a wood fire um, um, mm-hmm. heat, right? And that they're they're cutting and stacking and, and they're bringing wood in the middle of the winter and you know, all of that, right? Is, that's not a really a, a really aging friendly way to heat your home, especially when you're getting into your 80s and 90s. So can you can you talk a little bit about maybe what some what some energy sources that we could be thinking about that would be maybe friendlier to us as we age? Yeah, well, that's funny because uh, I volunteer a lot via Rotary at a local skating rink and and I was talking to one of the guys over there who's, of course, he's 75-ish Vietnam veteran Marine. Mm-hmm. And I, he was telling me about his firewood. He was, I like to stay two years ahead. And <laughs> my gosh, Paul, that's a lot better than I do. I don't, you know, I have, we eat with wood too, and I, I don't actually have my wood in. So uh, <laughs> Paul is two years ahead. Um, and he's cutting now to get a three. Jeez. You know, I... I'll throw some ideas and options out there that maybe aren't initially thought of. One one thing that I do is I get my heating oil from Main Standard Biofuels, which is really interesting. It's used cooking oil. So uh, here in Biddeford, we have a used cooking oil collection point at our recycling facility. And Main Standard Biofuels, which is in Portland, collects from there. And many other places like that, a lot of restaurants. And uh, they process that into heating fuel so it's uh it's a fossil it's a dinosaur free alternative to running your furnace hmm. it's the same same price and it's complete drop in so i got a tank of that and we're using that and i like to get through the winter on one tank of oil so it should be good if we if we could do it i personally am a fan of pellets as well and and you know um my uh friends at main energy systems in bethel they actually have delivery trucks now that uh, if you spend some time in in Europe and, and uh, you know, I suspect you have listeners, have, you'll find uh, a lot of homes that heat with pellets. And when, when you go into the basement where we would have an oil tank, they have a very large bin. And uh, often it's just a concrete wall and uh, blocks and sort of a, a wedge shaped area in the basement. And the pellets go in there just like the coal used to way back when. Hmm. And the and the uh, furnace runs on those. Main energy systems can do that kind of thing. So if you don't want to schlep those 40-pound bags around, uh, you could do that. So it, it's, an, it's an option that is new, and I don't think too many people are aware of it. You, you can even have a silo, a little silo outside your house if you want. Interesting. Pellets, <laughs> yes. Depending on how you feel about that look. <laughs> Marty, I want to rotate and talk about vehicles. So geographically. Geographically, the state of Maine is rather large. A lot of us spend a lot of time on the road, um, whether it's for work or leisure. And certainly the more rural you get, you may have a longer commute to service centers like hospitals or grocery stores, whatever it may be. So I want to ask, you know, what is happening with fuel and energy usage in vehicles and kind of what's the change there? 
Yeah, thanks for asking that, Curtis. So E2 Tech, we have a current project. Uh, we are engaged by the governor's Office of Policy Innovation in the Future, led by Hannah Pingree, to develop the state's clean transportation roadmap. So I'm actually personally engaged right now in helping develop that and uh, listening, really wanting to hear from people on their experience. I want to hear from you what you think about getting away, reducing pollution from transportation and, and looking for ideas. I am personally enough of a wonk that I'm on my, I think, fourth electric vehicle, mm. including my first one, which was in 2007, which was a wow. complete disaster. I lost all of my money. It almost caught fire. I had to get it back to where I got it from in California in order to uh, get wow. rid of it. So involved actually sending pieces of it uh, on trucks back to California wow. to make the damn thing go away. To now, I do drive a nice uh, late model Tesla, which is a remarkable vehicle. And today, uh, already that Tesla has been to drop my son at camp in uh, Freeport at Bradbury State Park, and later we'll be driving my daughter up to Doorway, Maine, which is a 200-mile round trip, roughly to uh, drop up at another camp. So that car is going to get 300 miles today. Uh, it'll be charged up uh, in between at home or at a supercharger. And, you know, that cost will be a third to a half of what a gasoline vehicle would be. And the emissions will be about a third to a half. So, mm. and these cars are uh, really nice to drive, uh, not just the Teslas. They're, they're uh, fun to drive. Actually, you should know that the, the cheapest vehicle to own and uh, in Consumer Reports and the J.D. Power number one vehicle reliability over uh, rated right now is the Nissan Leaf. Uh, in Consumer Reports right now, uh, uh, used a 2012 Nissan Leaf in their estimate, it has an annual maintenance projected cost of zero. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the wow. only time they've ever measured that. Wow. So they, they poll their readers so they, they aren't making this data up. So it's, you know, you think of like the Corolla and stuff like that as being cheap cars over time to own. It's the only car they've ever had a zero. Wow. So, um, which is interesting because it's like, obviously you don't need an oil change, right? And you don't need, right? Kind of, there's, there's yeah. the, the, the maintenance that would you, you think of with your gasoline car that would. You generally don't need to do brakes because they do regenerative braking. You could occasionally, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you're looking at every 10 years, maybe for a brake. It depends. Yep. I don't yeah. want to say there aren't things that go wrong with electric sure. cars. I've actually had a number of problems with my Tesla that only an electric car would have, like the charge door stopped opening and closing, and I had to have that replaced. And uh, I had a weird techie software problem that they had to come and do. But to still making the point, uh, old a used EV, and frankly, in particular, the Nissan Leaf is, is a, a heck of an investment yeah. for sort of a daily runabout. So Marty, that's, that's a really interesting point that you bring up around that story, right? Because I think when, when we're thinking about cutting edge technologies, right? And you're kind of thinking about, hey, I want to feature proof my, some of my retirement. I'm trying to, you know, obviously I, 
I have my core values. I really want to align with sustainability. I want to reduce my costs over time. But I think there's kind of this concern of, well, I don't want to be so cutting edge of kind of what your story is with that first uh, EV car, right? Is all of a sudden, you know, I'm so early on in the innovation curve that there's so many things that haven't been figured out. And now I'm the guinea pig and I got to spend a lot of money to figure out things that people haven't really encountered before. So can you talk a little bit about what's happening with energy technologies and kind of where where we are and what's coming down the pike? Yeah, I can try, including more examples of where Marty went wrong. Uh, (laughs) I I have worked. (laughs) So fun. Solar hot water is, is, uh, you know, 10, 11 years ago, I had solar hot water system, you know, pretty straightforward thing that everyone's kind of familiar with. You, you got these black panels on the roof, the water goes up there, comes back warmer, right? So I've actually personally removing a set of those from my house right now, you know, late at night, last night I was working on it, spilling, you know, propylene glycol on the floor while I was trying heat transfer fluid while I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of this damn thing. So that's another bleeding edge technology that I uh, <laughs> unfortunately adopted. So, you know, that's a good question. I mean, it, I mean, EVs have arrived. One thing that mm-hmm. I personally think we don't talk about enough is that e-electric lawn equipment has mm. totally arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a long series of electric lawnmowers and weed whackers that turned out to be junk. I, I know I had five of those. I, I literally have five of those. I'm trying to get rid of them, that brand Newton and E-U-T-O-N. Anyway, but now you go, you know, all of those are actually almost better than the gas one. Mm, Please yeah. don't forget that. When we're talking pollution, small engines are awful. Small engines don't have the catalytic converters and things like that. Mowing your lawn for an hour is way worse than driving a Ford Explorer to Boston and back. Not just worse, way worse. So if you can go to an EV electric lawnmower, please do it. They work Mm. better. Um, and that's another tech that it's a, that's arrived. So I, I guess the answer is, you know, see what Marty does, let him do it wrong and do, <laughs> move to it 10 years later to know whether stuff is full on arrived. I'm not a hundred percent sure of, of life, but I, I feel like solar PV, solar electric, electric cars and, and electric lawn equipment are three that I can name where I feel comfortable recommending those things are not going to go wrong. Hmm. And I, I, I want to keep going down this thread of kind of cutting edge technology. So uh, geographically close to Ben and I in the Bangor Orono area, we have Dr. Habib Dogger out of the University of Maine's Advanced Structures and Composites Center. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And he's doing some great stuff. And I think a big one is offshore wind turbines. So I just want to ask you kind of how do you think his work in, is impacting the state of Maine's thinking about energy in the future? So you're you're touching on a major third rail of Maine energy policy. <laughs> Go ahead, cue that one up. Um, I, you know, Habib is a friend. He he helped uh, me start my business in the composite decking world. Obviously, he's one of the world's renowned uh, composite experts. I think we've got to find a way to to get there with offshore wind. If we're looking at made electrical mix right now on a very hot, sunny day, it is not very windy. So we are not getting mm. uh, the renewable generation that we would like to get renewables to consistently make power when we use power is 
a massive opportunity and actually to get consumers to use power when there is power is also sort of a matching clean tech mm -hmm. opportunity mm -hmm. uh, that I'd love to explore a little bit more. But staying on the theme of offshore wind, I we got to figure it out. We do. And I think if anyone's going to, it's going to be Habib. I mean, uh, we've, we've got to establish fisheries that we can't mess with and they have a long tradition. They're also a proud tradition. You know, I grew up in rural Western Maine, as we mentioned. You, mm -hmm. you guys are in Ordo Bangor. I, I'm not a coastal guy by sort of birthright, you know. And and I confess that I, you know, growing up in Carthage, yes, uh, you know, when I thought <laughs> of islands, I thought, you know, these are like rich people. That was all that was ever in my head, you know, when I was, you know, eight years old. I never had any other sense of it. And now... You know, I'm much more familiar with kind of the working fisheries and so forth of the challenges of that. Mm -hmm. And I get it as far as kind of defending your turf. And I, I'm intrigued by the sort of culture of that. A, a quick example, uh, I attended a presentation with at the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association in which the panelists asked a group of lobster fishermen and women, could we place tracking devices on your boats to see where you go such that we could then do our offshore wind development in other areas? Mm -hmm. And I bet you can imagine what the yeah. answer to yeah. that question was. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, Hope to the heck no. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yep. So that, I mean, I think is part of the challenge. But I think there's an outcome where maybe members of the fishery are co-owners of some of these developments. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe maybe they're involved in it somehow. And maybe that gets you there where you, you feel like, okay, uh, you know, this is the, the commons, our ocean that we all live and work in collectively. Maybe we find a way to have part of that work be the generation of, of power because that wind is out there blowing as we speak, mm -hmm. even though it's not blowing here on the hot, you know, plane where we're all yeah. cooking. We really need that energy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm glad Habib is out there pushing the interval. The guy is incredible. I don't know how he does it. And he has my 110% support. Awesome. Well, Marty, I want to ask about um, maybe kind of You've done a little bit of storytelling in terms of your own life and things that you've been doing from a from an energy perspective, but maybe you could just spend a, a couple of minutes because I think it would be helpful to hear, you know, as each of us and, you know, as we're working in our households and thinking about our own ways to future proof energy costs, like, can you just go through your thinking of, you know, maybe from the 10,000 foot level of here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And then, you know, maybe from a obviously you talked about the, you know, the, the, the solar heated water or other, other themes and how those kind of all fit in and kind of when they don't work and what you're trying to accomplish with it. Cause I think from a thematic perspective or strategically, it would be helpful to hear from you and kind of what you're, what you do, what, how you think about it, and then what you're doing to implement kind of this kind of future-proofing idea. I think you're probably giving me a little too much credit for having foresight, but I'll try. So a thing that I left out earlier is cool roofing, believe it or not. So it just if, if a hailstorm comes or you're getting a free roof replacement, switch to a lighter color roofing. We are in a uh, place now with the heat in Maine and, you know, we're getting our arms around this, but the, the summer heat is a bigger deal than the winter cold. And, uh, you know, 
dark charcoal gray roofing is a massive energy load on your home. Mm -hmm. uh, switch to the Energy Star rated shingles or the lightest color that uh, you feel comfortable with and the look of your home. That's a big deal. They don't cost anymore or generally don't. And, and that AC bill is a bigger problem for you than your oil bill. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, yeah. I think about that. I think about uh, wiring your garage for 240. Uh, you're going to have an electric vehicle plugged in out there. And uh, you just need essentially, it's like a dryer plug, you know, or your range, you know, mm -hmm. we're all used to that. You just need one of those in the garage. Uh, an interesting thing is the National Electrical Code is updating. And uh, in new homes that where that code is adopted, there'll be a, a whole house surge protector. And I think this is that same kind of thing. Uh, a little bit more electrical capacity for your, your next vehicle is a good chance that it will be either all or partially electric. You know, plug-in hybrid vehicles are a great solution, in my opinion. They have uh, a lot of the lowest operating costs in, in that you can get. I own one myself, a, pl a plug-in Prius. It's a remarkable vehicle. There's a, Honda makes an incredible one. A lot of the minivans are now doing it. You can drive for two months uh, and never switch on your gas engine and then when you need to you know run down to new york to pick somebody up or you know for the weekend or whatever then you're running on gas mm -hmm. that's um you know not all the eco weenies love the plug-in hybrids a lot of people want them to make the step directly fully to evs but i personally think that the you know in maine it's a solution we should adopt so uh, beyond that, I thematically, I don't have a great sort of rubric or tool that I use other than I'm just constantly looking for little ways to move ahead. Uh, you know, e-bikes are incredible. Have you either of you ridden a, an e-bike yet? No, um, no, not at all. Complete game changer. Uh, e-bikes e are so satisfying to ride. And as far as your kind of daily commute, going to the grocery store, going down to get coffee, um, or, or even just a ride for pleasure, uh, e-bike is just remarkable. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't re recommend them more highly. Get one that's safe for you with a step-through design or whatever it might be. But uh, you know, you can get into a good e-bike for $1,500, bucks, 2000 bucks, and do a fair bit of your errand running. Yeah, and they are okay. just fun they are right. just fun they really really are they're, they're one of those eco innovations where you're like yeah <laughs> uh okay. makes you feel like a kid again so th <laughs> that's another sort of thing that comes to mind hmm. all right marty so we've kind of reached the end here um i have one question left for you and we're going to kind of change gears on you so we are here on the retirement success in maine podcasts a question we like to ask all of our guests is what is your personal definition of retirement success Thank you. And, you know, I enjoy the podcast and I like hearing the answers to this. I have come to this place where I don't think that, uh, well, let me back up. So I'm an avid bird hunter. I raise English setters. Okay. Um, I, I have a friend who's an instructor at the L.L. Bean Outdoor School. Mm. And uh, he says, listen, come on up here. We'll bring you in for a couple of days a week. You know, you could teach... Uh, you know, uh, on the skeet range or, or something like that. I won't say I never think about that because I think <laughs> that would be awesome. But, uh, I, I know that personally I'm always, I'm just somebody who wants to work. So mm. I've actually, to be honest, kind of stopped thinking about what, you know, I'm not going to be 
I saw a license plate today that said 66, uh, like, okay, you know, <laughs> I made it to 65, I retired. Yep. I, I felt like that person is awesome. You know, they stuck to a goal, they achieved it, and they're, they're relaxing and going, you know, having breakfast with friends at, at their own pace. I am not that person. I, I anticipate that I'll just keep on, keep on trucking. That's fine. And, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully, you know, what Colonel Sanders started his, his that biz KFC when he was around my age, right? I yeah. think he, I'm excited about that. I'm intrigued by all kinds of sustainability stuff. I think of batteries a lot, to be honest. Who's recycling batteries? I think that there's a really uh, significant business opportunity in recycling batteries. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time poking at that. I think that a business that it has a sustainability mission, but is also profitable is uh, always possible. And I want to try to focus on that. And that's one I, I've actually got a little side hustle called Hell Cycle where I'm doing that. So uh, probably that's what I'll do in, in retirement is uh, at least have some type of sustainability related side hustle. Hmm. Awesome. Well, Marty, thank you for all that. Because uh, obviously... You know, it, what's what's pretty cool is obviously we're talking future of energy use in Maine with you today, but I, I just got to commend your personal energy for in the passion that you bring towards not only just the state of Maine, not only just kind of the entrepreneurial area, but kind of life in general. I, I really mm-hmm. applaud everything that you're bringing to life and what you're what you're doing today, because I think it really shines through. So I really can't thank you enough for coming on our show and, and sharing with us all these thoughts, because I, I think, well, this is something I'll to get a few more listens in on because yeah. I think you're you're kind of spelling out a few ideas like ah, I got, like I'm writing that down I gotta I gotta check I'm that go out look so for a bike yes yeah, and even bike. <laughs> yeah we, we weed out nine of my ideas but keep one and that could be the one <laughs> so Marty thank you so much and we will catch you next time so I, th- I thought Marty did a really great job today really going through again the 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 future of energy use in Maine. And again, Marty has just a really great kind of through thread where he's he's got just a, a really big passion for uh, sustainability. He's got a passion for uh, the state of Maine, obviously going away, coming back. And, and I think that really kind of shown through today. Again, somebody from a from a obviously a podcast perspective, we're looking at who else is doing podcasting in the state of Maine. Uh, that's a show, his show, the Grow Maine show is something that we were- yeah. Uh, modeling after a little bit mm-hmm. and and kind of be able to talk to him uh, was was really kind of a treat personally for us too. Yeah. But of course, with all of our shows, we like to wrap them up uh, with lessons uh, uh, or something that we took away from today's show. So Curtis, would you mind maybe just uh, kind of giving us your yellow highlighter of something that you took away from from Marty's show with us today? Yeah, sure. You know, I think you you hit the nail on the head with overall and, and how great Marty was just kind of on the topic, uh, you know, as a whole but I I thought it was really interesting thinking about our show and and the topic today and just how everything kind of came full circle so you know we talk a lot about you know aging in our homes and what we can do to better our lives in retirement on this show and and then we took the energy aspect today and and what I mean by coming full circle is you know Marty shared the story about the individual he knew who still has a wood furnace you know which is great it's a great cheaper alternative 
But, you know, as that individual ages, it's probably not realistic that he can keep chopping wood when he's 85 years old. And I think Marty shared he's got like two or three years in advance right now, you know, pre-chopped and stacked, which is impressive on its own. But, you know, you're lugging it in in and out of the house. You know, you could fall, you could get hurt, or you maybe just can't swing an axe when you're 85 years old. I think that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. You know, it's so so the improvements that Marty shared that we can or the changes, you know, we can make to our home whether it's you know he talked about the pellet silos and how it's kind of an automatic feeder you know going solar if you can to you know to alleviate some of that you know manual labor of a wood furnace which you know again is a great alternative to oil but as you age so i I don't know i just i thought it was really good how marty kind of it all just tied together nicely in that this idea of aging in our homes that we've talked about so much and then on top of it you have the energy benefits and you're you know you're still not burning so much oil and I don't know. I just, I really thought it, it was really cool how it, it, it did kind of come all together for us there. Yeah. And I, and I think really the, the, the point there is really all these, and when I say alternative energy, I'm not thinking just, you know, like the energy efficient stuff, like the wind and the solar, mm. but there's lots of different ways to either power your home, to heat your home. And sometimes like the effort to kind of go through that, to, to figure out these alternatives were more difficult than actually just kind of staying where they were. Right. So mm. it was, yes, you could save money, but you were, there's something you're giving up. And, you know, Curtis, to your point is, you know, the, the, the late seventies, early eighties, when oil prices were going to the moon, mm-hmm. I think a lot of homes switched to wood stoves and yep. they switched in to save money. And we've seen that thread mm-hmm. happen over the years. And, and I think with, you know, thematically seeing it from our own perspectives, energy um, uh, or alternative energy or, or, or green energy tended to be more effort or more work in different ways to kind of get things set up. And then again, you didn't know sustainability of the technology. Now I think all those are becoming more mainstream, I yeah, guess, is it's, what, it's what, I'm, yeah. what I'm hearing you say and what I heard from Marty yeah. is that it's here, as he's saying, he's he's putting biofuel right within his furnace, yeah. right? So it's, he didn't have to convert and do all these other things to it. It was, it was just all ready to go. And, and these things are just going, how do we make this work so it's easier for people so to they can get a, adopt it mm-hmm. and make it easier for them to then not only do what's better for the environment, they can also save money and also save on the aging component of I don't have to do manual work where I can get hurt exactly and really impede my lifestyle. So I, I think that that's that was a really kind of a cool thing from today. Mm. Um, and I'll add to it as well from the state of Maine perspective. It's really just kind of cool about what we're seeing from the state. And I know Curtis asked about Habib Dogger yeah. and offshore wind. You know, so you're seeing cutting edge technology from the kind of the very large scale side, in, a, in addition to the micro scale, like each of our homes and what's happening. But we know when Marty's kind of throwing out, hey, we need 2,000 megawatts, you know, in terms of kind of power generation. You, again, you look at it, power generation, but also power, um, maybe the, the pollution output from that mm. and looking at it that there, there's a lot of thinking around hey how can energy uh, or efficiency main really help push the needle i know we answer the question to yes we're both burning oil but we're also got heat pumps exactly. right exactly and using those rebates to then put in heat pumps which mm-hmm. on days like today as we're joking as 90 degrees out <laughs> having a heat pump in your home that's cooling it at the same time is is really nice as well mm-hmm. so yeah while we do still 
have oil in our homes, we're still reducing the footprint. And the majority of the family and friends that I have too, we all have kind of experienced kind of putting in a heat pump because it's very affordable now and it's so easy and it's just so nice. So again, from from that, I think there's a lot of uh, the theming from the state perspective that it goes to all the way from the micro to the macro level mm-hmm. and you're seeing lots of things. So I thought Marty covered that really well today. Yeah. As always, we want to wrap up our show with giving out our show notes. Yeah. Um, so if you want to read more, obviously we got uh, a lot of things that, uh, that Marty was bringing up here today and we'll, we'll list them on our blog post on the show notes. So if you go to blog.guidance.llc.com, backslash four six because we're episode 46, 46. Uh, to get more information on the future of energy use in Maine um, and a little bit more about Marty. You can go there, check it out, but uh, always appreciate you tuning in. Can't thank you enough for giving us a little bit of your time and, and hearing from uh, a little bit about our show and, and Marty today. So thank you so much. And we'll catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.